Crop Talk TV Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the inaugural episode of Real Talk Fantasy Football. I'm Eric Crocker, Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. And joining me is my co-host, Jason Aponte. And his Twitter name is right there, Jason Aponte1221. Go tell me your, your Twitter name. Jason Aponte2103. <laughs> I need to take those numbers off, but like somebody has my whole name like on there and they don't want to give it up. They're not even active on Twitter. So I have now, to, you like, have to it figure up. it out because you you got one of those Twitter names that like the trolls have, where they got like all the numbers <laughs> after their name. Yeah. I mean, I try I try to like, you know, throw my own thing on it. Like, you know, 21 is my favorite number. Three is one of my favorite. But yeah, I think you're right, man. It almost looks like a burner. Yeah, that's for sure. Burn. You just have to put like NFL after your name or something like that. Jason Aponte NFL and kind of just roll with that. You know, something what do you like that. what do you think about Niners Jason? Niners J. I no, I don't like mm. that. I don't, I don't <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like the the whole Niner whatever person thing. Like, I don't know if that one really like works too well. It's not my thing, but you know, <laughs> to each his own. So, this is the first episode of Real Talk Fantasy Football. We're going to be getting into all your fantasy needs across any format that you're playing. I'm going to be hosting this whole thing. Jason is the seasoned vet, right? He knows everything about fantasy football. He's going to be breaking it down in detail. Starting off right now in the offseason, still offseason technically, we're going to be going through each team and breaking down team by team and really getting into details, right? Now, today we're going to start with the NFC East. So you have the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington football team, which it sounds like they're starting to kind of find a new name or something like that, right? Yeah, or or they should just leave it like that, in my opinion. You like the the Washington football? It grew on you? it, it yeah it's fine now i i it's what are they going to change it to the senators the you know the the presidents i don't know like it's just i don't know i I'm, i like the red wolves i'm not gonna lie i like the red all wolves. right that would be dope yeah that would be dope that makes sense yeah so so you got the cowboys got the washington football team aka the red wolves because i'm going to speak it into existence that's what they're going to uh kind of go to and then got the new york giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to break down each team, team by team today. We're going to get down into very detailed, specific things with all these teams, a lot of their players, all that good stuff. All right. But if you're not already, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Croc Talk TV. All right. Follow Jason, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on his Twitter <laughs> account. All right. Eric underscore Crocker, all that good stuff. All right. So here we go, man. Hey, wait, you ready to dive into this? I'm I'm super excited. I can't wait. Fantasy football is is my passion. It's my pleasure, Croc. Let's do this. All right. And we already got somebody in here said he said, bro, Croc has an 8K camera. You know what's funny? I'm actually recording off of one of my iPhones. And iPhones actually stream extremely well. Like it's just it's really clear. It looks like 8K. So um, yeah, man. iPhones, that's where it's at. Until I buy one of those like legit cameras, you know, and I'm like, man, it costs 700 dollars Like, I'll get it eventually. But for right now, I use my iPhone. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to start with the NFC East, the Washington football team, and a lot of things that kind of pertain to these players is like, how are they going to get used? And Washington has officer coordinator Scott Scott Turner, son of North Turner. He's the officer coordinator. He's pulling the string, playing puppet masters with all these young players that they have on his team. First, what do you what do you think about him as a as a coordinator and kind of how his offense pertains to, you know, fantasy and 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 people like looking in to his players and how they're utilized. Well, you got to hope that that Scott uses um, Antonio Gibson the way that Norv used Christian McCaffrey, which means like 99% snap share, basically almost every single touch. And and for fantasy football, that's exactly what you want. You're looking for opportunity. You're looking for snap share. And it's really going to be based on how they really look at it. You know, when we get into the position itself, there's a little bit more to add to it because they do have somebody in that backfield that is also very much productive when it comes to fantasy and he plays a, a ton you know a lot of that had to do with the quarterback uh that was there last year and we'll, we'll talk about all that but I really just want to see what the utilization of Antonio Gibson is going to be that's really uh uh the the key because um a lot of people are bullish on him as am I I, I loved him I have a lot of exposure to him on, on many of my teams was able to grab him before the hype really got crazy and a lot of my rookie drafts and dynasty and and I was able to reap the benefits right away so I really, 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 
uh, am excited to see how he's going to use him. Is he going to give him a bump in snap share? Is he going to throw him more targets? Because I think that'll significantly raise his floor. So I think it's going to be interesting to find out. And, uh, you know, it's weird because, you know, Ron Rivera is there. He knows the system. Norv was over there in Carolina. So I think that things are starting to become more clear as far as what they want to do as a scheme. Curtis Samuel knows the system in and out. He was in it for years. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to figure out how they're going to use um, Antonio Gibson, in my opinion. All right. Well, we already got a super chat. My my dog, Chris. Chris, what up? We appreciate the super chat. Says Fitz is going, is he going to help Logan and McLaurin a lot? Or he thinks he, that he is. What do you think about that? I know we'll I get into it in detail, but yeah, no, I, I he's absolutely going to help. Uh, it's not even a stretch to say that Terry McLaurin's going to be playing with the best quarterback he's ever played with at this point. And Logan Thomas last year, I, I believe he had some. He there was only two other tight ends that have had more targets than him, and their names are Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey. Logan Thomas just needs more opportunity. Fitz is going to, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, air that hole out. So that helps. That helps both of them. Honestly, it helps them down the field. Um, McLaurin wins on all the routes. And, and Logan Thomas was was a nice find. You know, the Washington football team, for, for everybody who pegged them as a defensive team, they had a lot of guys who actually were very productive for fantasy football, even, you know, when they, they went through their quarterback switches. Remember, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins. Tyler Henneke, these are literally Taylor, Taylor Henneke, I'm sorry. These were literally their quarterbacks and they played all at different points in the season. It's just amazing to figure out that we could rely on some of these guys last year. So stability at the quarterback position is going to make all these guys that much more valuable. I agree with that hundred percent. So let's get into Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, he's coming off of a career high 68%. He was playing well and, you know, it just so happened that he played for a team that drafted a quarterback top five, some would say that he maybe shouldn't have been drafted top five, but you know, whatever. I, and that's kind of speaking in hindsight because there was the whole tank for two a thing, but he was kind of starting, then yanked, then they put him back in to try to save the day. And he was kind of up and down, but it finally seemed like he was kind of hitting stride. And now he was contemplating retirement. He heads over to Washington. What do you think he brings to this team? And spe- more specifically from a fantasy standpoint. I think that he brings an arm that did that none of these guys have seen. Like Terry McLaurin has 2,000 yard seasons with Dwayne Haskins and all those other guys that we mentioned. So Fitzpatrick uh, was playing the best football of his career last season 68.5% uh, percent completion percentage, seven games started. And then when he was brought in to relieve, right? So remember the, the Oakland game or, or the Las Vegas Raiders game? He was brought in and he won that game for them. Remember, there's the, there's the picture of him getting his. His face mask torn. Yeah. And he still completed the pass. And and I think that, uh, you know, what, what I noticed was last year, Fitz has been a guy who really pushed the ball, you know, down the field for the majority of his career. Last year, he was very accurate because they were finding ways to get screen passes up to Gaskin to, uh, you know, a few of the other guys that Miami had over there. And he, he played better for it. He I understand what they were trying to do with the two thing, but if they really wanted to make the playoffs, they would have just stuck with Fitz the entire year, I believe. Now, look, we know the highs, we know the lows, because when Fitz is balling, he's playing out of his mind, but then when he's not playing well, then it can be really bad. And I understand that. There's that that absolute risk, but for right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a perfect late-round quarterback redraft guy. Like, if if you wait around for quarterback and you want to stack your team with all wide receivers and running backs and, and, and really, really have that team ready to go and then bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick in round 13, 14 in your draft as your QB one. And, you know, you want to play the streaming game on certain weeks. I have no problem with it. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be amazing in this offense. And I think that he's going to really uh, push some fantasy value out, especially if you get him as late as I was just talking about. So you talked about kind of stacking the team with receivers and running backs and they have two running backs, right? They got uh, McKissick. And Gibson. Now, Gibson's a guy who, I mean, he wasn't even just a pure running back up until last year, right? He got drafted, and there were people that were wondering how that transition was going to be. Now, he seems like a guy that's kind of shooting up some draft boards when it comes to fantasy football, but he's also going to be sharing a backfield or, you know, two guys kind of uh, tandeming this whole thing, right, with a guy who's a pass-catching running back. So how is that going to work? Would you take Gibson knowing that they do have McKissick as well, who might take some of his touches away as a receiver? I love Gibson this year. And all he needs is just a small increase in snap share and just a bump in targets. That's it. You know, a a wide receiver converting to a running back, you would think that you want to utilize that. And when you heard Ron Rivera talk about him last year, 
he talked about him saying, I, I view him like Christian McCaffrey, right? That's fantasy gold, right? Christian McCaffrey, 100 receptions with, with almost 200 rushes. You can't ask for, for anything more than that. But unfortunately, last year, I think that what happened was when the, the quarterback switch happened with uh, Alex Smith, and Alex Smith is, you know, look, for, you know, no disrespect, but he's a guy who checks down a lot. J.D. McKissick is a perfect, perfect target for zero RB drafters. So if you want to load your team up with wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and you want to go big and you want to have four stud receivers while looking for to add a running back, J.D. McKissick and PPR leagues was a fine last year in, on waiver wires, right? So some of the so some of the stats that were were a little bit weird for me when it came to McKissick was he didn't light it up target wise, um, yardage wise, but he had 110 targets on 80 receptions. And this is a guy that you got on the waiver wire in PPR leagues. That's gold. When you throw in his three touchdowns, that's even better. But his snap percentages were over 50% in 11 games with one game at 49%. So eight games with six or more receptions. And when Alex Smith took over in week eight, JD McKissick had, get, these numbers are insane, 14 targets, 15 targets, four and two. Um, and the only reason that he had two was that Dallas game. Antonio Gibson had three touchdowns. He, he went crazy. All, yeah, he, he went, went crazy. crazy all over them. So, but then 10, 4, 10, 10, and 8. That is solid. That is something that you could set your watch to. But with the Antonio Gibson thing, it's how good he is as a runner, even though he converted over, right? Like it has to have you excited. All right. So all they have to really do is just give him a little bit more. Just give him a few more targets and his value will shoot up. So he had eight rushing touchdowns from week seven to 11. And he had a, a tough time breaking over that 50% uh, snap share, right? He has 65% snap share in only two games and eight games under 50%. That's pretty much his floor right now mm-hmm. where, where you're looking at. So if he gets a bump, Tonyo Gibson has a chance to be a top five running back in this game uh, in, in fantasy football this year. So it's really exciting because McKissick gives you that zero RB you know vibe. Like if you want to wait on running backs, you can get him because he's definitely going to be involved. He's bulked up. He said he wants the every down roll. They clearly want to utilize him. But Antonio Gibson has a chance to really, really be special this year with just a small increase of targets and snap share. Um, it's going to be hard to stay away from Gibson. And, and I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to have a lot of exposure to him this year in redraft. So it's one thing to have Alex Smith as your quarterback and your running back. And like you said, with McKissick getting all those targets, right? Big part of that is Alex Smith, he wants to check the ball down. Fitzpatrick is a guy that's going to kind of throw the ball downfield. He's going to, he's not going to be checking down the rock a whole lot. Do you think that might, you know, make where uh, Gibson is drafted kind of take a hit a little bit? I don't think so. Um, just because I, I expect this offense to be better than last year. So he'll have plenty of goal line looks and I, and they're going to have plenty of scoring opportunities. And again, you know, he, he missed a few games. That's also the thing that you have to remember about JD McKissick. You know, when Gibson missed games, McKissick skyrocketed, skyrocketed with his snap share because really his only competition was Peyton Barber. Um, no disrespect to him, but that shouldn't make anybody nervous. Um, but McKissick, I think he does have value because I think we kind of saw a switch in, in Fitzpatrick's game last year. I mean, he threw eight interceptions in seven games, but I, I I liked a lot of what he did with the short, quick game. And and again, I think that because of Scott Turner, because of the way that he utilizes his running backs out of the backfield, and they know that J.D. McKissick is a guy that they want to use primarily in that role. He's not really an every down running back, even as much as he wants to say. So uh, I think that they're both fine options. You just have to make sure that your expectations are in line. With McKissick, you're really just picking him, you know, because you want PPR floor. So even if he doesn't play many snaps, he's still going to have six targets, seven targets. So if he gives you five for 50, that's 10 points, right? You'll take that from yeah. uh, from just a like from just a, a PPR like flex. That's fine. 10 points is good. You'll take that. Um, but I think that uh, Gibson is primed for a bigger role this year. And I think that they realize what they have because he was so good for a large stretch. Um, especially down the stretch, um, even though he got hurt in the Pittsburgh game. But, I mean, he showed all the flashes. He he has all the tools. And uh, I think that they really have big plans for him this year. Now, you brought up Logan Thomas, right? You, you you mentioned him briefly. And this is a guy that was drafted to play quarterback, right? Wasn't he the guy that was playing quarterback at Arizona? I mean, with the yeah. Arizona Cardinals from mm-hmm. Virginia Tech, I believe. Yeah, right? I believe so. so yeah. Mm-hmm. Now he's kind of a standout, like, tight end. He's kind of building up that, that whole kind of, like, fantasy football uh, vibe behind him. I saw somebody recently posting highlights about him and talking about how he's somebody that they're going to be looking into draft. What do you think about Logan Thomas and where he might be able to take his game heading into this year with more opportunity? I mean, Logan Thomas only had two guys ahead of him that had more targets, and that's Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey for, for all intents and purposes. And we love George Kittle over here on this side, but if I had to rank 
of the top two in in fantasy football this year, it's going to be Kelsey and it's going to be Waller. Waller has too many opportunities. He's just too much. In, he's too involved, especially when you consider now how many people are going to be gone as far as the receiver position. Right. You lost Aguilar. Um, you know, you, you bring John Brown, but Darren Waller is important to what they do. Right. So when you think about that, 110 targets for Logan Thomas, he turns it into 72 catches, 670 uh, yards and a few TDs. Six, 670 yards isn't really great. But his two biggest games target wise were 14 and 15 week 14 and 15 when Dwayne Haskins played against Seattle. They threw the ball 55 times. And then the next week, um, Heineke actually came in for Haskins and they threw the ball 47 times. So he got 13 for 101 in that first game against Seattle, which that sounds great. That's about what? That's 23 PPR points. You'll, you'll take that all day. But if my guy catches 13 balls. 101 yards that means you're getting like what you know uh like five or six a chance like that's not that's not good <laughs> numbers right yeah um but with the uh carolina game he had 12 targets and only has seven for 63 but i think that was more because dwayne haskins was just so bad in that game but i love him as a trendy tight end pick for those like if you're skipping the wall the, the there's a, there's a tier okay kelsey waller kittle after that you start to get into what ifs TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts. Okay, those are what ifs. Like you want them to boom, but if you, you you're not comfortable with taking a chance on them, Logan Thomas is a perfect later round tight end that you can take with confidence that he's going to play well. Um, Mike Mike Kosicki is somebody that's being ranked higher right now, even with Tua higher than Logan Thomas, and I'm not certain I'm ready to go there yet. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really not certain that because Fitz hit him pretty consistently uh, last season, so. I mean, I think that Logan Thomas is going to be a steal in some drafts. And he's going to surprise some people. Um, 110 targets, that's hard to duplicate, especially when you talk about Curtis Samuel, Danny Brown, and we'll get into those guys. But if he even gets 100 targets, I think that his catch rate is going to go up higher and he'll have more yards. So it's a great chance to take on Logan Thomas for sure. So let's get into those receivers, all right? You talked about Curtis Samuel. He just came over from Carolina. He's looking for a big opportunity now um, after being a free agent. He obviously had uh, Scary Terry McLaurin, who's been just his trajectory. I mean, he's just going up and up and up. It was an amazing third-round pick, and it seems like he's getting better each year. And that's what playing with guys we talked about, some of the quarterbacks that he played with, which was really a long list of guys, and how Fitzpatrick's probably going to be the best quarterback that he's played with. And then you have the rookie, Dami Brown, who I was really high on. I'm excited to see what he does in Washington, and he's going to have an opportunity here. All right, so let's talk to me a little bit about Terry McLaurin and what you're expecting from him uh, this season. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Terry McLaurin is going to be somebody who finishes top 10, but it's not going to be drafted there. And and that's that's exactly what you're looking for. You never want to draft a guy at his floor. You want to draft him at a place where he can go to his ceiling. And I believe that he's going to have a top seven season. I can say that confidently. You know, career highs and receptions last year, 87, 1,118 yards. And I talked about who his quarterbacks were. And Ev, the focal point was him on defense, right? You, you got to stop McLaurin, right? And people are focused on you and you still are producing. From week seven to 11, this, this stretch was electric. Seven catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown week seven. Had a bye on week eight. Seven for 95 with Alex Smith in week nine. That, that's another thing that you want to look at. Five for 84, seven for 92. Those are floor stats, basically, for him, I believe. And I believe yeah. that he is really going to ascend in fantasy football to a top 10 guy this year. And that's no disrespect to anybody else because there are so many great wide receivers in this game for fantasy football. And that's why you see people wait on running backs and, and, and try to play the zero RB game because you could potentially start your draft with something like Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, and Terry McLaurin. And, and who could stop that? Like, well, how are you going to stop all of those guys on your fantasy team? As long as you have running backs that you choose that give you a solid floor, those guys are three top 10 options um, at, at this point. And that's, uh, that's really why people go with the zero RB thing. I think he's going to be amazing. Chris likes what you're saying so much that he gave us another donation here. Jason Appreciate keeping you, bro. 100 on the tight end position. Respect. I like it. <laughs> yes, sir. I, so, you know, and, and then when we talked about Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel is literally one of my favorite football players in the world. And, um, you know, Matt Harmon, who when I cite a lot of these success by root stats, they're going to be from reception perception from Matt Harmon. He's a big, big Curtis Samuel guy as well. Um, but, 
career highs last year in receptions, 77 and 851 yards in 2020, 41 rushes and two touchdowns. So when CMC went down, they immediately turned to him as the Swiss Army knife. And, and this was a team that supported two other top 25 wide receivers in Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. So he got he got a career high in his receptions, not as much in targets. He had more targets a few years ago. But here's the thing. His targets after the first few weeks, because the first five weeks, he really wasn't involved as much as people wanted because he's been a popular breakout candidate for years. But after week six, his targets went six, five, nine, five, ten, five, nine, nine, five and eleven. His last two weeks were five for one oh six and seven for one eighteen. And those are money weeks we're talking about the playoffs fantasy football playoffs he's delivering for you in those moments right there so carolina just was creating touches for him once cmc went down and a lot of people wanted to see him get used that way at the same time while they use him with those bubble screens because i have his success by root 94 percent um success on flat routes 88 percent on slants 100 percent on screens so he's 74 percent on posts 62 percent on nines and 70 percent on corners I, I really believe that Curtis Samuel has more in his back and he still hasn't unlocked it all. So that's why he's going to be a trendy pick this year. Somebody who, if you're b- banking on somebody breaking out for real, even though he broke out last year in terms, I still don't think that we've seen everything that we can see from Curtis Samuel. And I'm excited to have him uh, as like a fourth receiver on my team, fifth receiver on my team and just see what happens because I really think that he's in store for more, especially because he knows his Carolina offense so well. Yeah, and I'll kind of get into Diami Brown and kind of what he is and Go what he it. could possibly bring to this team. You know, uh, I watched a lot of him at North Carolina, did some breakdowns on him. And the, the, the one thing with Diami Brown, I think people kind of are going to sleep on him a little bit because when you watch the UNC film and you, and you look at him, and you're like, well, he only was running a couple of routes. And the one thing I noticed right away, I'm like, man, this dude's running like the same routes as DK Metcalf when he was at Ole Miss. Coming to find out, same offensive coordinator, that was at Ole Miss with DK, went over to UNC. So it showed like a limited route train. I think a lot of people are thinking that's who Dami Brown is. But I liked a lot of things about him. I thought he had some really nice subtleties to his game. The way that he can win vertical by attacking leverage and getting guys a speed turn in space. The way he can win at the line of scrimmage. He had good quickness, feet, um, did a really good job getting in and out of breaks. I think he's probably like quarterback's best friend with how he works back to the ball. There were, there were times where I saw him work back like 10 times, 10 yards to the ball, catch the ball away from his body, did a really good job of getting yards after catch. Not a big guy, but definitely is a vertical threat. So he's a guy I expect to kind of come in and eventually kind of take over a role as an X or a Z or whatever uh, McLaurin is. I think he can start opposite, and you can let Samuel play off of him. I don't know if he'll be that day one. We'll see how Turner uh, kind of gets him involved uh, as a rookie. But eventually I do feel like he can be that guy. So if you're talking about, you know, uh, a keeper league, right? Or a league where, you know, you keep your guys, a dynasty league, or you keep your guys over time. I think he's a guy I definitely invest in where a lot of people probably sleep on him. I think he's going to be a guy that where just like kind of Terry McLaurin, who was drafted third round. And then it's like, well, he's blowing up. I'm not saying Donald Brown's going to have that type of success, but I do think he's going to probably surprise some people more than what they're expecting right now. 100% agree with you. I've been grabbing Diami Brown in almost every rookie dynasty draft that I've been in, um, whether that's the end of the second, early third. It depends on the league because he's been falling in some weird spots. But, you know, uh, some guys that are are taking ahead of him that I'm not as bullish on, especially for fantasy, like Rondell Moore. Um, you know, Elijah Moore is somebody that I'm really big on in Dynasty, but I've been getting my hands on Diami Brown for those same reasons. I think that he offers something to this uh to this offense where he can take the top off of it, just like Curtis Samuel can, but it's good to have two of those guys, right? So just for a little bit more context, um, again, reception perception. Um, what is it? It's 60, 60.9% on nines, a hundred percent on corner routes, 84% on posts, and 81% on out success rate. Um, that's, that's important, you know, and it's not like he's just running past people, but I could see him being a Deshaun Jackson like person in this offense where the big plays will happen. The problem is in redraft is you're going to have to try to pick the right weeks to actually play him. So that's, you know, where it is. So Diami, you're not really going to have to draft. He'll be on your waiver wire. And if he starts to show production then go absolutely go for him on the waiver wire, but you're not going to have to draft him. But if he does show something, then that's when you can bring him back. But for Dynasty, I really, really, uh, I really uh, love his chances to to be a factor for many years in Washington. Nice, nice, nice. All right, so let's move on to our next NFC East team. 
we have the New York Giants, all right, the big brothers in New York, all right, and this is a team that's intriguing because they have so many weapons, and a lot of it starts at the quarterback, so we don't have the quarterback listed right here, but talk to me a little bit about Daniel Jones and kind of what you're expecting from him this year, whether it's from a fantasy standpoint or just in general, what are you looking for from him to kind of step, uh, take that next step? A lot of a lot of what you think about the the position players for the Giants has to do with what you believe Daniel Jones is about to show this year. Is he going to take a step, right? Because they have to evaluate him, right? From from a regular football perspective, you have to figure out what you have with Daniel Jones right now before you pick up his fifth year option. Are you going to build around him? This is it, right? So what Gettleman did this whole offseason was surround him with as much talent as possible, right? <laughs> they're, they're getting they're getting Zeitler back. They're, they're getting guys back from opt-in. So the offensive line should be better. It was brutal last year. It should be better. But they have to evaluate Daniel Jones. So Daniel Jones is a guy that I don't suspect is going to be drafted in redraft leagues unless you have a Giants fan in your draft. Um, but he could be a guy with productive weeks because he does have – wheels you know he and that rushing floor is valuable in fantasy football very valuable because it can raise your floor you know getting 60 yards put six points on the board before you even do anything with your arm that's important so really realistically you have to ask yourself what do you think about daniel jones right is he going to take a step i think he is actually this year i really do and and it's hard not to get excited about his chances to do that when you look at who they brought in right they, dra- they, they drafted Kadarius Tony. They they signed Kenny Galladay. They still have Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, um, Evan Ingram, who you know we'll talk about in a little bit. They brought in Kyle Rudolph and Saquon Barkley's coming back. So uh, there's so much around him to be successful. Like if he can't do it now, then he's in trouble. And um, I think that's the way the Giants are looking at it. They've surrounded him with enough to to make sure that he's got enough to grow with. And he needs to show that next step. So it really depends on how you feel. I personally won't be drafting Daniel Jones unless we're in super flex leagues. Um, and I need somebody as a second quarterback, third quarterback, because he can be valuable. You know, those those end of the line, second quarterbacks. Like if you're in a super flex league, you're pretty much every single starting quarterback is going to be drafted. Like it just it has to happen because you have to have those options. So Daniel Jones is a popular super flex guy. Um, but it's again, it's how do you feel about what he's done? How do you feel he's going to do in 2021? And that's all up to the person drafting, I think. So now let's get into a lot of these weapons. You you talked about them having weapons, and I I already was a guy who liked, you know, they had Darius Slayton. I really like him. Can't even start talking about the Giants without mentioning Saquon Barkley, right? And then they just added just so many weapons. You're talking about, you know, obviously already having Evan Ingram, bringing in Galladay, which I think is huge, big, underrated receiver who's been extremely productive uh, with the Lions. They pay him a lot of money. They already had Sterling Shepard. Then they went and drafted Kadarius Toney, which was a surprise to me how much they liked him and and being able to kind of draft him with all the weapons that they already have on top of having, like, you know, Sterling Shepard and those guys. So, Let's talk about Saquon Barkley first. What does he need to do to have a successful season? There's one key thing. Just stay healthy. That's stay it. healthy. Stay healthy. I, yeah. I mean, look, look, in 2018, his rookie year, these numbers are insane. And I think people have forgotten. 261 rushes, 1,307 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns, 91 receptions, 721 yards, <laughs> and four touchdowns. That's insane. That is over 350 it's over 350 touches for a rookie. And I think that people have lost sight of what he can do because, unfortunately, last year, obviously, he lost uh, his season to the ACL injury. But week one, he took a beating behind that offensive line. The Pittsburgh Steelers, every time this man touched the ball, he was getting hit by two and three people. Um, his final stat line in week one, 15 rushes, six yards. Not good. Not good at all. Not good at all. But he had nine targets, and he turned that into six for 60 which is 12 PPR points just on those catches. So he didn't kill you in week one, but when you draft Saquon Barkley, a top one, two, three pick, you know, and and I have a feeling that he's still going to be taken within the top five, seven running backs, which is where I'd love to grab him because I really think that that's still in there. It's, it's really, he's really, really the glue to this offense. I feel when he's rolling, everything else is easy and they have a guy that they can hand the ball off to. Um, Wayne Gallman filled in admirably, when he was done and that's, you know, what got him 
you know, signed with the 49ers and, and he's he's a bit underrated. But Saquon Barkley, man, I just I look back at that 2018 season and I couldn't believe those numbers. I, I knew the numbers were huge because he won a bunch of leagues for people, but I had no idea it was that much in a rookie year. So if that offensive line plays even a smidge better and he's healthy for 17 games, he's still a top option and he's still a lead. And people need to just get out of their heads about it and stop overthinking it when it comes to Saquon. So here's my thing with Saquon Barkley. Because of the injury history over the last couple of years, where do you take him? Because he has the, the ability to be an RB1. Yeah. But do you draft him over guys that have been, you know, just healthier throughout their careers, like an Alvin Kamara or, you know, uh, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook? He's had his injuries, but it seems like he's been playing well as of late. So, you know, you have all these running backs, you know, uh, Jones, all right? Like, you have all these running backs that are going high right now. Do you take Saquon Barkley over them and just disregard the injury history that he's having? I can't. No, I can't. So let, let's say I'm on the board and I've got a top one pick, right? The first pick in almost everybody's draft, half, half PPR, PPR is probably going to be Christian McCaffrey. Um, and I think that that's a safe pick because I don't see them ever getting away from him. Dalvin Cook has been too good for too long, right? So I, I can't see him going over those two. The, the real dichotomy, I think, Croc is going to come in drafts of do you bet on the bounce back of Saquon or do you bet on the bounce back of Ezekiel Elliott? And I think that's where drafters are going to have their real, that's really where those two guys are. I could totally see one being number four and one being number five or one being number five and number six. They're going to be that close. And I think that drafters are going to have to figure that out. And when it comes to his health, he was asked today, and I'm glad that we did this show today. He was literally asked today. um, And the quote came out about his availability for week one. And he said, we'll see. So now, July 19th, you don't want to panic because camp hasn't opened, but it's really going to be important to monitor those camp reports. And if he's not ready for week one, then he can slide down some draft boards and you might find yourself with a steal if people are afraid. I remember people running away from Mike Evans last year because he had a little hammy injury, um, you know, that that he he might not be ready for week one. Guess what? He fell to like the fourth, fifth round. Now you're wilding. Mike Evans is there on the board in the fifth round. I don't care if he has a little hamstring injury. I'm going to swing on that all day. So if, if Barkley slides, play the board. If Barkley slides because people are worried about it, I have no problem taking him later on. But the real issue is going to be, what do I know? If I had to choose between him and Zeke, I'm probably going to go Zeke just because I believe in that bounce back. Dak's going to be there. I don't think the offensive line could be as bad as it was last year. And he looks like he's in, in great shape right now. So uh, the, the Barkley... Elliot one is going to be the one that people are really going to have to de- decide on, in my opinion. So we, we got Chris here. He's been very generous with the donations. Appreciate today you, bro. Super chat. Uh, Jones will be the gym Josh Allen was, but not as good. What do you think about that? Because that was Josh Allen, right? I mean, he was a guy who people were kind of down on, and then eventually year three, boom, took a huge jump, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, just blew all his numbers. And he had a MVP caliber season. So Chris basically is saying, like, you know, I'm not expecting Jones to have that type of season, but do expect him to take a jump. Obviously, he has all these weapons and probably, you know, he feels like he can kind of take advantage of that. You know, what what do you think about that kind of comparison? He definitely can. And, you know, in Josh Allen's case, you know, having dabble as their their play caller was amazing. And then bringing in Stefan Diggs, who had a career year last year and is still one of the most slept on receivers in this game somehow, that their chemistry is off the charts. So again, the Giants have done exactly what the Bills did. They they brought in talent to to keep him around. And and I I kind of like that assessment. Like not that he's gonna reach the heights that Josh Allen will, but you know, people got to stick with guys. My only concern really comes in with Jason Garrett as the play caller, he, he just, at the end of like those, those red zone um, sequences, you just don't understand what he's thinking sometimes with these play calls. And um, I do think that Daniel Jones is going to take a leap. I really do. And, and I wouldn't be bullish on Saquon. I mean, even if Saquon didn't have him with that jump, um, he would still be productive, but I really do think that Daniel Jones is primed for that. And uh, we're going to find out this year pretty quickly. Nice, nice, nice. So, what do you think about the receiver position? They have all these guys, right? They have all these weapons. And we'll we'll lump in Evan Ingram in this group as well. You got Evan Ingram. You got Galladay. You have Slayton, who's been a deep threat for them. You have Sterling Shepard and rookie draft pick Kadarius Toney. Yeah, I mean, for, for fantasy purposes right now, the only person that you can probably rely on is Galladay at this point. Yeah. Sterling Shepard, Slayton, Kadarius Tony, you know, the, the reports out of campus that Tony's going to be brought along slowly. Um, so that's not what you want to hear. You, you kind of want to hear that they're going to utilize him right away. So it may take him a little while to hit the ground. You probably won't have to draft 
these three guys, again, unless there's a Giants fan who's really, really big, but these could be perfect waiver wire by by week fill-ins, uh, I believe. Sterling Shepard's really good, honestly, and I really uh, would love to see him get more. But I think that last year, once Jones went down and they went to Colt McCoy, the passing game kind of went out the window. And they just they just literally turned, they literally leaned on the defense and they were literally just handing it off to whoever. You know, Wayne Gallman went crazy against Seattle in Seattle in that game. Um, but with those guys, it's hard to draft them. It really is. And it's hard to, to expect week in, week out production from those guys. As far as Galladay goes, the only problem that we know with Galladay is that he's hurt. That's it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. But he's the number one option. You know, it's a giant guy. They call him Babytron. Uh, throw him those 50-50 balls. 85.7% on contested catches. Now, some would look at that and say, oh, well, he's having a tough time separating. I don't look at it that way because I really do think he can separate, but he's just good at those balls that are just tossed up because he is that big, right? 39% of – so here's a surprising stat. This is the one that kind of threw me off. Now, I'm not saying that I believe in this, but this was a stat that surprised me. of his routes were against press coverage with a success rate of only 66.7% per reception perception, which put him in like the 48th percentile, which if you know percentiles, you want to be in that 99th percentile. You don't want to be in the first percentile. So that was a little surprising, right? So how much does that have to do with his injuries? How much does that have to do with, uh, you know, the, the offense that he was in? But the Giants threw the ball 517 times in 2020. I expect a large amount of them to go Kenny Galladay's way. And I'll be taking a shot on Kenny Galladay in the fourth or fifth round, um, depending on how the board falls. So uh, I love I love the acquisition. It's just it's just a matter of health. The Evan Ingram thing. Whew, man, what a year last year for him. It was so strange how this played out. He made the Pro Bowl. I, I don't know how that happened, especially when you look <laughs> at when, when you start to look at some of the other tight ends like Robert Tunyon. Robert Tunyon had like 13, 14 touchdowns. How does he not get into the Pro Bowl? But he had 109 targets, 63 catches, 57.8% catch percentage. That's not good at all. Right. And, and 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 some of those were off target, but he had I was going to say how much of that had to do with Daniel Jones. Yeah. yeah, 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 no. He had he had plenty of throws that were off target, but he dropped a lot of ones that were on target, man. 10.1% um drop percentage. That's bad. That's very very bad. Um and you know, he has all the tools, but last year was just definitely a step back. Now, where I worry about Evan Ingram is that they brought in Kyle Rudolph. And Kyle Rudolph is not there to just be a guy in the background. They plan to use him, and he seems like one of those guys that is going to steal all the touchdowns away from Evan Ingram. Unless I find something out that's different, I'm going to be trying to steer clear from this tight end room. Evan Ingram has all the tools, all of them, and you can see it. He can definitely ball, but, man, he's got to figure out that drop thing. And how much of last year is going to carry over into this year? Can he overcome all those things? Those are questions I'm not trying to answer or trying to project, so I'm going to be trying to stay away from him, honestly. All right, all right. And if you had to choose between one of these three guys who you would draft first, all right, because I'm I, I'm thinking they're kind of going to be lumped in together and we'll see who they eventually utilize more. But you got Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony, and Slayton. If you had to choose between one out of those three guys, who would it be? I'm probably going to take Slayton just because of his big playability. You know, you want those boom weeks because those are the weeks that win you weeks. Um, again, you would have to use them during the bye week. Sterling Shepard is safe because he's going to see targets. But again, I, I have to figure out how this target distribution is going to go. Kenny Galladay's here. Saquon Barkley is, is going to be somebody that they get the ball to a ton. So now you're talking about maybe being third or fourth, possibly, if Evan Ingram still even approaches those, what was it, 100 109 targets, right? So that's my problem, his pecking order. Now, if I'm going to take Darius Slayton, I'm taking him for his boom weeks. When I'm able to identify, hey, he's going to be in the slot this week against a guy who's been getting whipped, I'm going to play him that week. And that's the week that you hope that he catches, what, three catches for 170 yards and like two touchdowns. That's the type of guy he is. I don't think Sterling Shepard has that in his bag. So when, when I swing on later round guys, I swing on upside. I don't swing on safe because that doesn't really make much sense. They're probably not going to be playing. You probably have three or four receivers that you would start week over week, but you want to have a guy that has a little bit more boom. So I'm going to go with Slayton. And one more thing about Kadarius Tony that I still, I mean, I know this has nothing to do with fantasy football, but man, <laughs> the Giants liked him enough to not draft Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore or Rashad Bateman, man, I don't know. Like, I look, I, I know what they want to do with Tony. They want to get him the ball on screens and, and let him operate. But, man, I think those guys are going to be great. All three of those guys are going to be very good receivers. It's going to be hard to justify that one because I don't think that Tony is in their class, if you ask me. I thought it was interesting, you know, not just with the guys that are on the board, but probably the way that they want to utilize him, like, uh, you know, 
Debo Samuel or Percy mm-hmm. Harvin style, a guy that you just get the ball in his hands. We talked about Curtis Samuel earlier, another guy you want to just get the ball in his hands. But then it's like, well, you want to just get the ball in his hands, but we have Saquon who's going to eat up a bunch of those underneath targets and getting the ball in his hands right now and letting him work after the catch, how they utilize him in the passing game. And, and then just the receivers that they have all around them. So I, I'm curious to see what direction they go with it. I, if I had to guess, I'd say, okay, there's got to be a, somebody that's going to be an odd man out here and maybe get traded away. Sterling Shepard, will he be available for trade? And then maybe that'll open up some more room and, you know, uh, opportunity for Kadarius Tony because when they drafted him, my initial reaction was, this doesn't really make sense to me with their current roster as it stands, but maybe they have something else in mind. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting part, right? You know, for, for Dynasty, uh, Sterling Shepard's a hold, in my opinion. You know, don't he's not a buy, he's not a sell. I'm holding him just to see for what you just talked about. What if he gets traded somewhere where he gets a chance to really shine? And that's the type of stuff that you have to think about in Dynasty. Tony's a fine pick in Dynasty, but again, when it comes to uh, those receivers in that group, give me Elijah Moore, um, give me Rashad Bateman, especially now um, being over there in uh, Baltimore with just Sammy Watkins and, and uh, Hollywood Brown to, to really deal with. So it's going to be interesting to figure out how to use him. But all, all reports out of camp are right now that they're going to use him. They're going to bring him along slowly. So we'll see what that means. And there's just a lot of mouths to feed in this Giants offense. It's just a lot of mouths to feed, especially if Saquon is playing. So um, it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, for dynasty purposes, you know, you want to make sure you get your hands on him. But for redraft, uh, I, I really wouldn't see myself, uh, you know, going crazy to try and get him unless it's off the waiver wire. All right, so here we go. We're moving on in the mm-hmm. NFC East to the Dallas Cowboys. And this is a very intriguing team for a few different reasons. One, it's a team that has hella weapons. And it's like, well, who do the Cowboys want to be? Like, what's their identity going to be? We saw what they did last year, throwing the ball around. I mean, uh, D- uh, Dak Prescott was on, like, this hysterical historical run of just – probably going to finish with like 6,000 yards. He was on pace for something like crazy, right? So, but that's not who they are. I I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were playing from behind so much and not just playing from behind. I mean, they were playing from behind and down like 20 points and Ezekiel was fumbling the ball. And then, you know, then you had to try to lean on uh, number 20. I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. But Tony Pollard. Yeah, uh, yeah, Tony Pollard. And and it's like, well, who do, and then they're, they're, they're having Zeke on the sideline. But then you have all these three receivers that you want to throw the ball around to. So they're very interesting because are they going to get back to what made them orig- initially successful, which was ground and pound, run the ball, play off of that. Feed Zeke, feed Zeke. All right, give the ball to Tony. Okay, now that we can throw the ball around. But putting up big passing numbers was not their recipe for success early on last year seemed more like an outlier to me but got all these weapons draft cd lamb number 17 overall when you didn't really have to draft him got amari cooper you're, you know he's a hundred million dollar man and then you have gallup who's also been a thousand yard receiver in his time here so let, let's let's talk about the cowboys and what do you take from just Dak prescott because i think that's going to be the guy everybody's going to look at what he was before the injury are you expecting those same type of numbers heading into this season Dak has a shot to be top five, but this is an amazing point that you brought up, right? And it's not a recipe for success for Dak to be doing that. And they were behind in so many games that defense was putrid, which is beautiful for fantasy football, right? We want your defense to be bad because then you got to be in comeback mode and you got to throw the ball. And, and Dak was on the a pace to break every single passing record, right? Um, but their defense was 28th in points allowed and 23rd in yards allowed. Uh, you know, they were behind in many games. So that's a great point. If this defense even improves a little, you're going to start to see them shift right back to, you know, Zeke, 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 and then Dak here and there. So for people, you know, top five is in Dak's cards, but it all depends on if that defense takes a step up, right? They brought in, um, what's the guy's name from Atlanta? Um, the, uh, the former head coach, he's going to be running cover three over there with Quinn. Yes. Dan Quinn, Godfather cover three, they're bringing him in. So let's see what happens. You know, they got Alden Smith over there. They got some guys who can attack the ball. So if this defense improves a little, then they're going to be in a position where they want to hold the ball a little bit more. As far as the recipe for success for winning, that wasn't it. But a recipe for success in fantasy football was Dak and 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 this attack, man. And unfortunately, when he got hurt, you know, the, the team just, you know, basically fell apart. I don't want to speculate, but it, it did seem like Zeke's heart wasn't in it last year. Um, you know, once the offensive line went down, once Dak went down. And, and you know what's funny? For all things, this was a down year for Zeke, right? All, he just missed a thousand yards rushing, 
52 catches, 338 yards, and two touchdowns with six rushing touchdowns. Now, that's not living up to the ADP where you drafted him, but that's still not like people made it seem like, you know, Zeke just was like off of the map. I think it's just because you're so used to what he was doing. So I totally can see a top five resurgence for Zeke, especially if they find a way to get him the ball with those uh, screen passes and everything as well, too. So I really think, again, the discussion is going to be more about Zeke or Barkley when you're at that spot. Like, what do you want to do? And I, I had that decision to make when I was in the Scott Fishbowl draft, uh, the satellite draft. But I passed on both of them and took another wide receiver and I went down the line and I got another uh, running back. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. But I think that he's ready to go back to where he should be as a top five running back. But when you talk about weapons, man, and it's crazy because Andy Dalton got hurt. Then they played Ben DiNucci. Amari Cooper still ended up with 92, 1,114 yards and five touchdowns. That's crazy when you really think about it, when you think about the quarterback position. And then CeeDee Lamb, 74, 935 and five with a rushing touchdown, like in his rookie year. I, I mean, it. it's pretty hard to get away from both these guys. Cooper's going to be a popular pick. I'm going to have a lot of CD shares. If you have them in, if you don't have them in dynasty, go buy CD lamb right now. Please try to go make an offer to that, that manager to make sure you get CD lamb on your team. And Michael Gallup, Michael Gallup is, should be trade bait for them in my opinion, right? Because you can get a lot for him. And I think that he's incredible, man. Like he, he can go somewhere and really be something. So for dynasty purposes, Michael Gallup's a hold while we try to figure out what they're trying to do with him. Um, I see people talking about the, the tight end. Blake Jarwin. Yeah, Blake Jarwin was a, a, a very, very popular late round um, tight end last year. Fortunately, he lost his season in week one. But here's the thing. He'll be back healthy, but Dalton Schultz is no slouch. I mean, 63 catches, 615 yards, and six TDs. Um, I don't think he's going away. I don't think that they're, like, they're just going to cast him aside and bring Blake Jarwin right back. So in terms of opportunity, Man, uh, that's going to be hard to figure out at tight end, and I'm going to try to steer clear from that. Unless you know you want to take a swing on one of those guys as your backup tight end, like let's say you you drafted somebody you know like a Kittle who has a propensity at times to get banged up. You want to have a guy who's who's there on your team. Cool, you can do that. I'm not really big on two tight ends because I can play the streaming game week to week and figure out who I can use um, in those ways. But I don't think that Blake is going any. I don't think that 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 uh, Schultz is going anywhere when it comes to that. So, but yeah, Dak has top three potential, but most of his production comes in comeback efforts, and we don't care when it happens. It happens. But you're right. If that defense starts to play well and they start to play better, because it's hard to imagine that they could be any worse than they were last year. It's going to be tough for Dak to, to duplicate those numbers. It really is. Right. I think there's going to be a lot of people taking him, expecting similar output. And again, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Cowboys were down 21 points in the blink of an eye. Again, Zeke Elliott fumbling the ball. That didn't help the situation. And Dak Prescott having to throw the ball a ton just for the Cowboys to have some sort of a chance to be in game. So we'll see if that kind of continues him put, putting out that type of production as a passer. If I had to guess, I'd say no, and I'm kind of a little bit more out on that, Prescott, just because I think when they get back to the roots of how they won, I think a lot of that had to do with giving the ball to Ezekiel Elliott. We haven't talked really about Tony Pollard. What's your kind of take on him and what they want? Because he is a guy, you know, another guy that's, you know, he, he he's good in the passing game. Um, he's a versatile back. He was a guy that I think does well as a spellback, but I'm not sure about as kind of a primary guy where there were a lot of Cowboys trying to push, Cowboy fans trying to push Ezekiel out of there, Ezekiel Elliott. What do you think about Tony Pollard and kind of where would you take him? Is he a guy that you have to, what do you call him, a handcuff, right? Yes, yeah, so that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. that's that's exactly what I was going to say. A premium handcuff, right? So you have to think of it like this. I agree with you, right? I don't see – Pollard overtaking Elliott. But if something did happen to Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard is going to step into a large share of, of this work. And against the 49ers, he looked amazing. <laughs> I mean, he he was literally like, what well, do you Hold have, like, on, this, hold on. He uh, actually did not look amazing. He had one good the, run. Which the 60 yard run. You, yeah, you, you want to see that because he like broke tackle, spun. He's like, Fred mm-hmm. Warner, get off me. Then he ran it for a touchdown. But up until that point, and I, and I wanted to see up. a little bit more. I mean, it was one yard, two yards, right. one yard, tackle for loss. I'm like, gosh, like this is the guy that people are saying is better than Zeke. Then he had the good run, which was terrific. But for most of that game, because that, that run happened late in the late. fourth quarter, he was a non-factor. And he I had, always well, took mental so, note of that. 
and I'm glad you brought that up because in reality football, absolutely. But he still had like five or like okay. six catches. Exactly. Yeah. He had like five, yeah. six catches. So he he already gave you the floor. And then the mustard on top was that long run. Like, so right. again, again, it's going to be hard, Croc, because I know you, you know, real football, you know what I'm saying? Because you're, you're right. No, no impact as far as that when you see that. But those 10-yard catches, those little seven-yard catches, those are still catches, and they still count for fantasy football. So a guy doesn't have to – so there's, there's a – and we should have a whole show on this. You don't have to be, like, dominant at football to be great at fantasy football, if that makes any sense, yeah. right? You know, like, you know, you don't have to be better than everybody else. It's just opportunity, your share, what do you do with it, and uh, can you pile up those stats? And, and that's really what it's about. That's why a lot of people get the misconception with us fantasy guys that we – only look at that. No, I know the difference between real football and the difference between fantasy football, but he was good in that game. And when he was given the opportunity, he looked good. He has a little bit of wiggle and stuff. But again, I don't think that he's a guy who can shoulder the entire load, but he would step into a large role if Ezekiel Elliott went down. And that's all you can really ask for is you can ask for those touches. Now, if he's efficient on those touches, that's one thing or the other, but he would see a lot of touches and that's very valuable. So with, with him, you know, I never really subscribe to people drafting. Like if you draft Zeke, I'm not telling you to go draft Tony Pollard. I don't think that that's smart, you know, because for me, you're kind of capping your upside in that way. And what I mean by that is if nothing happens to Ezekiel Elliott, then you just wasted a draft pick on Tony Pollard. He's not going to see yeah. any day, right? So if I draft Ezekiel Elliott, I'm going to go for somebody else's handcuff. Uh, you know, I don't have J.K. Dobbins. I want Gus Edwards. Um, I don't have uh, Mike Davis. I want Javian Hawkins. It maximize your upside by taking someone else's handcuff. So when that other player goes down and they go run into the waiver wire, oops, he's on the end of my bench. And now, boom, I got another starter. So that's the way that's my strategy when it comes to handcuffs. I think you limit yourself when you draft your own player's handcuff. I don't really like that idea. I feel like it's a waste of a draft pick at times. Um, I mean, in, in, if you're really afraid about injuries, like if it's Dalvin Cook and you want to take Madison at the end of your draft, okay. Because Madison has shown that when he's given the opportunity, he can pull. So I get that, but I try to I try to stay away from that. All right, and we got Matthew in here, and he says it depends on your bench size. I want to give mm-hmm. a shout-out to Matt because he's been active in the chat, and, and I appreciate that. This is the first episode, so for you to be active, we want to encourage everyone else to be active so we can have conversations on the show, in the chat, you know, all that good stuff. All right, we appreciate that. We're going to go to our last team in the NFC East, and it's the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is a team that's very intriguing to me because I have a feeling from a fantasy standpoint, Jalen Hurts was good. Yeah, he was. He was. Absolutely. And again, we don't get points for completion percentage, guys. We don't care about that stuff. 54%, (laughs) 56%, 53% doesn't matter. He scored 40 points against against Arizona in a, a playoff game, right? He had three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Don't care about how many passes he completes in certain leagues that matters. But for most, for the most part, completion percentage, just throw that out the window. Who cares? You guys are thinking about this the wrong way. Jalen Hurts is still a top 10 option. His rushing floor, the legs, the legs is what's always going to keep him going. If he does anything with the arm, it's a bonus. He can still give you 10, 12 with his legs alone. And now if he throws anything into the end zone, now you're looking at just basically icing on the cake. I love Jalen Hurts. doesn't matter if you guys really think he's a good quarterback in, in real life. That's up to you i'm not going to debate that but we're talking about fantasy football here and he's going to have plenty of opportunities that eagles defense is going to be awful this year i believe and he's going to have to throw a lot he's going to be behind a lot and that's really what you want you want a guy who's going to be playing from behind who's going to be forced to make plays and you know what if he throws an interception here and there fine doesn't matter because the reward that you're getting from him throwing you back into the game or running you back into the game is bigger than uh than actually caring about whether He's completing passes at a high clip. So that's the thing. You guys got to kind of get that out your mind. Some guys are good at real football, not good at fantasy. Some guys may not be good at real football, but they're great at fantasy. It's weird. It's really weird. So we're talking about a young quarterback, and he's trying to work towards his, you know, developing into whatever it is that he's going to be. And I always say the best friend of a young quarterback is, one, a running game, two, good tight end. And I feel like, I want to talk about both of those things for him, all right? Because tight end, we'll get to the tight end, but at running back, Miles Sanders, he's somebody, and I would assume is extremely frustrating because you see the talent, you see the ability, but he's just been so inconsistent. I saw a stat recently where it was like Josh Allen has more rushing yards and touchdowns than Miles Sanders since coming into the league. Now, a lot of that can be you know attributed to 
you know, injuries and whatnot. But that's the frustrating part, right? Like you want to see him on the field, you want to see him play, and you want to see him utilized. Is that a guy that you're looking at taking because of all the ability, or are you kind of passing on Miles Sanders? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have to stay away right now because, I mean, look at what the Eagles are telling you. Boston Scott's not going anywhere. He was he was involved last year, right? They signed on Johnson. They drafted Kenneth Gainwell. Jordan Howard is still on this roster. This seems to me like a team that wants to do this running back by committee thing, right? And where Miles Sanders is being lumped right now, he's being lumped with David Montgomery and Chris Carson. Now, I know exactly who I'm taking 10 out of 10 times if it's between those three. It's Chris Carson. Chris Carson? Chris, yeah. Chris Carson. Well, Chris Carson. Hold on, Carson though, and we'll get to him. He started mm-hmm. kind of picking up down the stretch. He no, he did. But but let's well, that's another for another day. But Chris Carson's role is is defined, man. And David Montgomery's role is defined. Tariq Cohen isn't going to be back, it looks like, on time for week one. So he's going to have that role again, um, Montgomery. With Sanders, I can't take a chance on what did they give him 45% of the snaps in one in one game? And Boston Scott gets a ton, and you know, Gainwell's no slouch. Uh, you know, and carry on Johnson. I like what is he doing there? So it's like I get nervous about all those things. He only had 20 touches in 2020, five games. That was it. That was it for Miles Sanders. Yes, he had four games with injury, but they seem to be in this running back by committee thing. If, like I said, it's those three guys, then he's third on that list just because I know exactly what I'm getting from Chris Carson and David Montgomery, who, you know, was ele- David Montgomery won people fantasy championships last year because he touched the ball 32 times. You want that defined role. You want to know what you could set your watch to. And I know that those guys are going to be the lead dogs. Miles Sanders is going to be peppered in. But from where he's being drafted, I, I, I'm I kind of out on him right now. Mm, okay. And let's get to those tight ends before we get to the receivers. Mm-hmm. Tight end, you got Goddard, got uh, Ertz. What are you expecting from this tight end group? See, with the Zach Ertz thing, it's so strange because I thought it was like the worst kept secret that he wasn't going to be playing um, for the Eagles anymore, but he's still here, right? Like there's issues <laughs> going on with the front office, so he's still there. Dallas Goddard is a, a dynasty darling. We have been waiting. This is his third year. We've been waiting for him. Six five, hunk of a man can block, can catch everything, make some crazy catches, but he just never gets the opportunity. If Zach Ertz is still there, I'm out on Dallas Goddard. I just can't. I really can't do it because at this point, I would rather I would prefer Logan Thomas. I would prefer uh, Hawkinson, Pitts, those guys. Like, there's plenty of guys that I would take over him because we all know that after that elite tier, you're kind of playing the guessing game. But if Dallas Goddard somehow is able to stranglehold like i know they said they want to use him a lot more but if he's able to put a stranglehold on this snap share and zach Ertz is gone then it's like dallas goddard to the moon top five type stuff like he's there he can do that yeah but as long as long as zach Ertz is there i can't get involved in the murky situation with them man i really can't at this point and zach Ertz, you know it's so crazy um he really like has has taken a downtick in his play lately he has problems with the front office, his contract, all that stuff. So it almost made sense for them to make a move. It might be something that happens in season. And if that happens, then, yeah, I would by all means be trying to pick him up on the waiver wire if he's not already drafted. But I I can't with these two. So uh, one more thing, a career catch percentage of 70% for Dallas Goddard. 65 targets in 2020 isn't going to be what you're looking for. If you give him 100 targets, 70 catches, that's what that 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 uh, that target share and, and percentage you know, evens out to that's very valuable. That would be valuable, but he just needs to get Zach Ertz out the way, man. And it's just, it's frustrating because Dallas Goddard is somebody that we've been waiting in the dynasty community to break out. And unfortunately just not happening because Zach Ertz is still there. All right. So now let's get to these receivers. All right. And I mean, this is, I, I don't want to say they have the worst receiver group. In it's the pretty league. bad. It's pretty but bad. <laughs> it, it is not ideal, especially from a fantasy standpoint. So I'm looking at it right now. All right, we'll just kind of list off some of these guys. You got Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, Travis Fogum, Greg Ward, John Hightower, Quiz Watkins, J.J. Sega whiteside and anybody else doesn't really matter as much from a Akeem fantasy Butler. standpoint. Is he a receiver or is he a tight end? I don't know. He's listed as a receiver right now on Pro Football Reference, but I know that they were trying to move him to tight end. But then there you go. That's another tight end that you're throwing into the mix with uh, Goddard yeah. and Hurts. You know? uh, so. So, so I'm looking at these receivers, and then I'm looking at maybe how they want to play to help the quarterback. Probably lean on the run game. Throw to the tight end. Do you take any of the receivers? Because my heart, I'm so high on Devontae Smith, and I think he does things – 
so well, but he's not playing with a pure passer at quarterback. Now, I know they played together at Alabama for a little bit, but that was when uh, uh, Smith was a rookie, wasn't playing that much. Then the next year, obviously, Tua took over, so uh, uh, Hurst didn't play as much. So I'm looking at, at, at the receivers, and I feel like they have some guys that can be high-volume pass-catching guys, but I'm a little scared because of who the quarterback is. I actually think – the kind of sleeper in this group is maybe Fogum because he is the bigger body with the bigger catch radius. So when you have a quarterback that's maybe not a pure quarterback, right, like a pure passer, he might benefit from Hurts more than anyone. But what do you see with this receiver group? Is there anybody that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, Devontae Smith is pretty much a lock for 115 targets, and, and that's all you can really ask for. Now, whether those targets are going to be quality targets is something that you probably have to decide, but I'm taking a chance on Devontae Smith because, like you said, there's a clear disconnect between him and the rest of this room. You know, Jalen Rager, unfortunately, is going to be tied to Justin Jefferson for the rest of his career because the Eagles took him over Justin Jefferson, but he had problems separating last year. Big problems, and, and that's the problem. 41% of his routes against man, 40.8% success rate. That's the first percentile. That is the worst. That's what that's you said. You said you want to be the 99. You don't want to be the first. <laughs> you don't want to be the first. And then with press, 20% of his routes, uh, 36.5% success rate, second percentile. Not good. Now, there is a way to buy – a first-year receiver on a on a dip, right? Because people were big on Jalen Rieger last year. He went really high in, in a lot of rookie drafts. Now, you might be able to see a dip on him. But the problem is I, I have a tough time figuring out whether last year was just rookie jitters or if this is just who he's going to be. What I, what I can project about Devontae Smith is 115 targets, and it's hard to walk away from when, when, when you're talking about that, especially when he's going to be the clear-cut number one guy. Fulgham last year had some nice weeks, and then he completely disappeared. Like, he just was gone. Like, a lot of people leaned on Fulham for a while. He was, like, uh, I believe, like, top five in points per game for a few weeks in a row, and he was a nice find, but then he, like, fell off the map. And obviously the Eagles had a lot of problems last year, right? right. You know, between quarterback, coaching, all that stuff. But, you know – Greg Ward is somebody who's very solid. Carson Wentz loved him, but you don't know wh where it is with Jalen Hurts, also a former quarterback. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, again, they passed on D.K. Metcalf. To, they passed on D.K. for J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. They passed on Justin Jefferson for Jalen Rager. Not doing too good right now with these uh, these draft picks. And then the guy that I'm actually thinking is the sleeper is Quez Watkins. They really liked him a lot last year. Didn't get a chance to see the field. From all reports, everybody's saying that he's somebody who is progressing very well. So I – uh. I actually think that that's somebody who you should be targeting in Dynasty, you know, for the buy low, right? Like, just get your hands on, on Quez. You probably will have to send maybe a third, fourth round pick. No problem. See what happens. See what happens because I think that he is one of those guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as this wide receiver group, Devontae Smith is a guy that I'll be targeting. I definitely will have on plenty of my teams because the target share is too large to ignore. But Jalen Rager and the rest of those guys, that's a wasteland at this point. I mean, I just I, there is a world where Jalen Rager turns it around. I just can't bet on it. I definitely can't bet on it. Yeah, that's going to be tough, and it's probably going to be tough to, to really take any of these guys serious with the quarterback there. We'll see how if, if he turns into a high-volume passer. He did have a couple big games passing the ball. I want to see, I'm interested to see what Devontae Smith does just because I was someone, you know, outside of the fantasy world, I was really high on him as just a pure receiver and what he kind of brings to the table. And then, obviously, obviously hey, does Rager take that year two leap? A lot of people think he will. Is he going to play more from the slot? Will that help him? get more targets. Those are all things that's going to be extremely interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, and I really like Quez Watkins, actually. I think that that's somebody that people forgot about. And uh, I think that he's somebody who could break out because there's an opportunity here. You know, it's Devontae Smith and then everybody else. There's somebody that's got to ascend. Um, and I think that he could be the the one that people are, are not talking about the most. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for today's show. I appreciate everyone that checked in for the inaugural show. All right, this is going to be something that we're going to come back to often. We're going to be uh, doing two shows per week, which, uh, especially during the season. Right now, we'll bang out uh, the AFC East next. We're going to get into them, break down the Patriots, the Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins from fantasy uh, aspect. We appreciate the Super Chats. Got some Super Chats today. That was awesome to see. Appreciate all that love. Appreciate everybody that has tuned in today. Uh, Underdog Fantasy, this show is powered by Underdog Fantasy, and we're going to have a league of our own. There's going to be a few leagues, all right? I want to do some money leagues. We want to do like a $10 league, $20 league, $30 league, all right? 
12 teams, you guys will all have chance uh, opportunities to get into that. We'll, we'll start to kind of have those drafts as these weeks go on over the next few weeks leading up to the preseason. If you guys aren't already subscribed to Underdog Fantasy, go ahead right now, underdogfantasy.com, or go to the app. Use a promo Crocky. As soon as you promo Crocky, you get an additional $25 to your account. So if you put in that minimum of $10, you put in uh, promo code Crocky, they'll throw another $25 into your account. And not just for fantasy football. They got baseball. They got basketball. They got all kinds of different sports. They have player uh, props and all things that you can put wagers on. They don't like to use the word betting, but you can use wagers on player props. That's going to be something that's really big and beneficial during the season. So all kind of good stuff, all right, uh, from Underdog Fantasy. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Crocky. Make sure you guys use that, all right? So with no further ado, that's going to be it for this episode. You guys can find this on YouTube, obviously, Croc Talk TV. Subscribe if you're not already. This will also be on all your podcasting platforms, all right? Apple, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to your podcast this will be there so appreciate you guys Ponte, any last words nope this is amazing i'm so happy that we started this crack this is this is my element as you can tell i could talk about this all day man i'm happy that we're doing this and uh, i can't wait for fantasy football and definitely download that app make sure you use that promo code um and we're going to be doing a lot of drafts uh you know some some daily stuff and uh, it's going to be fun to compete with you guys uh you know who, who enjoy the content and I'm, I'm just it's getting so close to football season man i can almost taste it I can feel it. All right, guys. So that's going to be it for for today. I appreciate y'all checking in. Catch y'all next time. Crop Talk TV Podcast. Podcast.